Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. Full house today with our Sun City people joining us here in the room. I want to welcome all of you who are here, everybody watching online as well. Uh, let me just leave with this. Anybody else here, Astros fans, raise, raise your hand, okay. How many of you stuck with the game for all 18 innings? All right, how about a round of applause for the faithfulness of those fans? Wow. Yeah, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm wiped out. I stuck with it, so. All right, so if you've been around Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown for long, you probably know our mission statement as a church. We say here that we exist to help imperfect people do life with a perfect God so that they can experience the best life possible. So we're all about embracing the fact around here that we are imperfect. We don't have it together, but we acknowledge that we serve a perfect God. So if we can learn to somehow do life moment by moment with this perfect God, to lean on his wisdom, to lean on his power, then he can transform us and we can begin to live the best life possible, what Jesus calls everlasting life, abundant life, eternal life. So the other day, I ran across an obituary that was actually written by the deceased individual shortly before he died. And since we're in this series, it's all about God's grace and how important that is in our lives. I thought I'd share this with you. It's a little bit long, but listen to this. Ken Fusan, born June 23rd, 1956, died January 3rd, 2020, at Nebraska Medical Center in Omaha of liver cirrhosis. And he is stunned to learn that the world is somehow able to go on without him. Says Ken decided when he was a sophomore at Woodward Granger High School that he wanted to be a newspaper reporter. He attended the University of Missouri Columbia's famous school of journalism, which is a clever way of saying almost graduated but didn't. Facing a choice between covering a story for the Columbia Daily Tribune or taking his final exams, Ken went for the story. He never claimed to be smart, just committed. In 1981, Ken landed his dream job working as a reporter for the Des Moines Register, where he was probably best known for writing a one-paragraph, one-sentence weather story that has been reprinted in four books. In 1996, Ken took the principled stand of leaving the register because the son in Baltimore offered him more money. He says, three years later, having blown most of that money at Pimlico Racetrack, he returned to the register where he remained until 2008. In his newspaper work, Ken won several writing awards, including the Ernie Pyle Award, National Headliner Award, Missouri Award twice, and Distinguished Writing Award in the Best of Gannett Contest, five times, but who's counting? Says, no, he didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but he's dead now, so get off his back. In 2011, Ken accepted a job in the marketing department at Simpson College, where he remained until 2018. He enjoyed it very much, but once again forgot an important lesson, always have a plan B. He was diagnosed with liver disease at the beginning of 2019, which is pretty ironic given how little he drank. Eat your fruits and vegetables, kids. 
He's survived by his sons, Jesse and Max, and his stepson, Jared Reese, who all brought Ken unsurpassed joy. He hopes they will forgive him for not making the point more often. He loved his boys and was and is extraordinarily proud to be their father. For most of his life, Ken suffered from a compulsive gambling addiction that nearly destroyed him. But his church friends and the loving people at Gamblers Anonymous never gave up on him. Ken last placed a bet on September 5th, 2009. He died clean. He hopes that anyone who needs help will seek it, which is hard, and accept it, which is even harder. Ken's pastor says God can work miracles for you and through you. Skepticism may be cool, and for too many years, Ken embraced it, but it was his faith in Jesus Christ that transformed his life. That was the one thing he never regretted. It changed everything. For many years, Ken was a member of the First United Methodist Church in Indianola and sang in the choir, which was a neat trick considering he couldn't read a note of music. So the choir members will never know how much they helped him. He later joined Lutheran Church of Hope. It says, if you want to know what God's love feels like, just walk in those doors. Seriously, right now, we'll wait. Ken's not going anywhere. Ken had many character flaws. If he still owes you money, he's sorry, sincerely. <laughs> but he liked to think that he had a good sense of humor and a deep compassion for others. He prided himself on letting other drivers cut in line. He'd give you the shirt off his back, even with the ever-present food stain. <laughs> Thank goodness nobody asked. It wouldn't have been pretty. He was also a master jumble solver. The end, it says this, in lieu of flowers, Ken asked that everyone wear black armbands and wail in public during a one-year grieving period. <laughs> this guy's good. If that doesn't work, how about donating a book to a public library in Granger or Indianola? Yes, this obituary is probably too long. Ken always wrote too long. And he ends with this, God is good. Embrace every moment, even the bad ones. See you in heaven. Ken promises to let you cut in line. You know, I, I read that and I thought, man, you got to love the honesty and the transparency in that, right? I mean, he just lays it out there. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us that apart from the grace of God in our lives, we are all pretty messy. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. So, there's an old Latin statement dating back to the time of the Reformation. We've talked about it in this series. It goes like this. It's sola fide. Sola fide. It means faith alone. And it was a challenge issued by Martin Luther and others to the Catholic Church that our salvation, getting the gift of being able to go into heaven, it has nothing to do with our own good works, what we do. It is entirely a free gift of God given to anyone who will simply believe in Jesus. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's our mantra here at Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. And it's the message of free grace theology. Now, I know plenty of churches will give lip service to this creed, but sadly, very few really and truly mean it. You know, they may say salvation is by faith alone, but then they're going to redefine that word faith to include some kind of works, which betrays the very meaning of sola fide, faith alone. 
And so in this series, I'm explaining to you why this theology is so crucial and how it affects every aspect of the Christian life. Not just how you initially come into a relationship with Jesus, but how you grow spiritually. So this is kind of a comprehensive survey of free grace theology. And I just want to say this this morning. If you missed the last couple weeks, go online and give it a listen. But let me summarize it real quick. Our main point was this. The only way we become acceptable to God is by faith. The only way we become acceptable to God is by faith. Romans 4.16 says, therefore, the promise, that's the promise of forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. The promise comes by faith so that it may, may be by grace, that means a gift, and may be guaranteed. And I want you to notice the words promise and guaranteed there. God has given us a promise and it is guaranteed. Jason did a great job last week emphasizing this point. That the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness, for eternal life, you can be 100% assured that you are his child and you cannot lose that standing. Now, all this leads us to today's question. Is grace risky, people? Like from God's perspective, giving out this free gift of salvation, is grace risky? Well, the answer to that is yes and no, okay? It, it depends. The answer is yes and no. This morning, I'm going to tell you why the answer is yes, and then next week, I'm going to tell you why the answer is no. Some of it depends on how you define that term, risky. Today, what I mean by is God's grace risky is this. Can a person like, take advantage of God's grace? Can a person put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, get their fire insurance, right, not going to hell, and then just choose to live however they feel like here on earth and still go to heaven? Yes. Unequivocally, yes. I mean, think about this, people. Anytime you give somebody a gift, they can take that gift and appreciate it and maybe reciprocate some kind of kindness, or they can take that gift and not really appreciate the giver or, or the value of the gift itself. In fact, they can even misuse the gift, neglect the gift, whatever. And we have all seen this in life. You know, back when I was in high school, I knew kids whose parents were very, very wealthy. And so as soon as they were old enough to drive, their parents would go out and buy them a brand new fancy sports car. But because it was free to them, they didn't really take care of it. They didn't value that enough. Like they would go out, they'd burn up the engine and trash out the interior, drive recklessly, crash into stuff, whatever. It was free to them, so they didn't really treat it with the value it deserved. So yes, there's a danger anytime you give a gift to somebody. So is it possible that a person could put their faith in Jesus for forgiveness and salvation from hell and not really treat it with the value it deserves? Absolutely. And we can argue about whether that's the norm in the Christian life or not. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks, hear me on this, that individual will still pay a price for his or her behavior. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But here's the deal. God won't revoke that gift of being in his family, that gift of going to heaven from that person. God freely invites people into his family. And the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you are adopted into that family. And he doesn't kick people out ever. Now, sometimes I know people worry that that kind of makes God a sucker, right? That preaching this salvation by grace message, this kind of grace and salvation, it gives people permission to do all kinds of terrible things and still get all the good stuff from God. 
And so they'll say, well, you know, it, no, it can't, it can't be that easy. It doesn't work that way. That, that sounds like cheap grace to me. Like if a person has real faith, then that will automatically transform their life. And if they don't show enough good deeds, then they're not truly saved. Well, you know what, folks? We may be worried about those issues, but apparently God was not. In fact, I'll take it a step further. God, believe it or not, he actually anticipated this question in advance, and he addressed it head on in the book of Romans through the apostle Paul. We're going to talk about this this morning. So Paul in Romans, he is doing such a terrific job of preaching the gospel of grace. When people are saved by believing in Jesus and nothing else, that he actually gets accused of the same kind of permissiveness that we get accused of. You know, over in John 1.17, the apostle John said this. He wrote, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Law and grace and truth. And then over in Romans, the Apostle Paul is going to emphasize, he's going to elaborate on this exact same truth because he's going to tell the Jews that they no longer have to follow the Old Testament laws. You used to be under the law, but now you are under grace. Now, a crucial question about being free from the law that would immediately pop into those readers' minds would be this. Hey, if we're no longer bound by any laws, should we just cast off all restraint? Just live however we please? That's a fair question. And Paul's answer here is very, very telling. And not just for what Paul says, so much as what Paul doesn't say. So listen carefully here. This is Romans 6, verses 15 to 16. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Hey, pause there. Paul is saying something very profound. He's saying that we as human beings end up being controlled or mastered by whatever we indulge in. So if you choose to indulge in sin, sin will become your master. Like the great theologian Bob Dylan once said, <laughs> yeah, you know this, you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> you old timers know this. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, he said, but you've got to serve somebody. See, you will be mastered by something, either by sin or by the Lord. Well, let's read on, verse 17. <laughs> but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin, and he becomes slaves to righteousness. He says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Okay, we need to talk about this word here, death. So I think oftentimes when you hear that word death, you think gone, lack of consciousness, totally out of existence. That's not what death means. Death means separation. When you die physically, what happens? Do you go totally out of existence? No, your body separates from your soul. 
So when Paul says death, when you see that word death, think separation. Separation from God, like fellowship with God. Separation from other people, your fellowship, your relationship with other people. Sin leads to death. Sin also leads to feelings of guilt and shame. Paul talks about that here. Paul says, hey, what lasting benefits do you really gain from sin? Like, think about that. The answer is none. Short-term thrill, long-term remorse. So Paul's saying, why would you want to go back to that way of living? Now that you've been set free from the condemnation and guilt and shame and death and all that stuff that the law put on you, why would you want to heap all that stuff back into your life by choosing to indulge in sin? Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Again, you got to understand that term eternal life means more than just a quantity. It's a quality of life, abundant life, richness of life, the good life. For the wages of sin is death, separation, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the very reason Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross was to put sin to death so that you could be rescued from its clutches. Earlier in this chapter, Paul says, hey, as a Christian, you've been given a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, so you don't have to give in to sin anymore. You don't have to be a slave to that whole cycle of sin and guilt and death anymore. So understand here, that's the reasoning Paul gives for no longer engaging in sin. And what's interesting to me here is what Paul doesn't say in response to the question of using grace as a cover for sin. Like if you ask Christians today, why should a believer living under grace avoid sin? Many would say, well, because they'd be in danger of losing their salvation. Or or the more subtle version of that same line of thinking goes like this. Well, because a whole lot of sin in a person's life shows that they were never really saved in the first place. Okay, Paul doesn't say that here. Like, not even close. And let me just say, it would have been a whole lot easier. Paul actually could have saved several chapters in Romans just by simply saying, oh, no, if a person keeps sinning like that, they'll lose their salvation or they'll show they're not really a believer. In fact, think about this. Those questions like, shall we sin so grace may abound? Shall we sin because we're no longer under the law? Those would be ludicrous to even bring up unless there was the potential for a believer to continue in sin, habitual sin. See, it's further proof that the gospel is a free gift, no strings attached. In fact, it's been said the truest test as to whether an individual is preaching the real, authentic gospel message is whether or not it leaves the listener saying, well, hey, if it's all free, why not just go out and sin to our heart's content? Well, commenting on that, the great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who this guy actually spent once 12 years preaching through the book of Romans, he made this very poignant remark. It's a little lengthy, but it's so good, I want to read it in its entirety. I put it up on the screen here. He said, there is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this, that some people might misunderstand and misinterpret it to mean that because you're saved by grace alone, it doesn't matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will redound all the more to the glory of grace. That's a very good test of gospel preaching. Let me show you what I mean. 
If a man preaches justification by works, no one would ever raise this question. If his preaching is, if you want to be Christians, if you want to go to heaven, you must stop sinning, you must take up good works, and if you do so regularly and constantly, you will reconcile yourselves to God and go to heaven. Obviously, a man who preaches in that strain would never be liable to this misunderstanding. Nobody would say to such a man, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because his whole emphasis is this, that if you go on sinning, you are certain to be damned. And only if you stop sinning can you save yourselves. So that misunderstanding could never arise. He goes on to say, nobody has ever brought this charge against the church in Rome. He's talking about the Catholic church that was preaching salvation by faith plus works. Nobody's ever brought this charge against the church of Rome, but it was precisely what the church of Rome said about the preaching of Martin Luther. They said, this man who was a priest has changed the doctrine in order to justify his own marriage and his own lust. This man is an antinomian and a heretic. It's the charge that formal dead Christianity has always brought against this startling, staggering message that God justifies the ungodly. I would say to all preachers, if your preaching of salvation has not been misunderstood in that way, then you had better examine your sermons again and make sure that you're really preaching the salvation that's offered in the New Testament to the ungodly, the sinner, those who are dead in trespasses and sins, and those who are enemies of God. There is this kind of dangerous element about the true presentation of the doctrine of salvation. See, to Martin Lloyd-Jones, grace was not only risky, it was downright dangerous because people can take advantage of it. And again, what I mean by being risky, what I mean by taking advantage of it is just your eternal destiny, whether you end up in heaven or hell. Because I believe in every other area of life, you're going to reap what you sow. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. You reap what you sow. That is a principle in the Bible. In fact, let me just give you a little heads up. The next couple of sermons are going to be pretty hard hitting. We're actually going to talk about how our Heavenly Father disciplines us how our Heavenly Father treats us as His children when we sin. And it's not always very pleasant. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus, the one thing He won't do is kick you out of His family. He won't unadopt you. He won't send you to hell. But we see just about every other form of discipline and punishment in the Bible. And you may be surprised to learn that free grace theology takes sin very seriously, okay, very seriously. More on that next week. So let's come back to this whole topic of salvation, of heaven and hell. I realize that sometimes people wonder, why did God set it up this way? Like, why is salvation by faith alone? Like, why why is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Well, first of all, I would say this. If our salvation had anything to do with our own good works, none of you in here would stand a chance, okay? We could never be good enough for a perfect holy God. Second, God doesn't want anybody bragging when they get to heaven. Listen to Ephesians 2, 8 to 9. Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, why? So that no one can boast. No boasting in heaven. See, if your good deeds had anything to do with it, either before or after you put your faith in Jesus, there would be room for boasting. God doesn't want that. 
Another reason salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone is because love and grace motivate us to serve God, to live for God more than the law and guilt ever will. Over in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the apostle Paul says, for Christ's love compels us. I'm driven by the love of Jesus. Now, sometimes people will object to this gospel message and say, well, that sounds like cheap grace. And can I just say that I actually think that's sort of an insult to our Lord and Savior Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. The Bible says Jesus bought our salvation for us, but it was not cheap. It cost him his life. People, Jesus paid a physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual price we can't ever imagine, even our most horrific nightmares. The salvation is free for us. Grace is free to us, but it was very costly for Jesus. Another objection that I know is sometimes raised, it goes like this. Well, that just, I don't know, something inside, that just, that just seems too easy. It's too easy. And I get this one because after spending about six months of my life sweating it out, trying to figure out how I might earn my way into heaven, when my good friend Tim Beard shared the true gospel message with me, and I finally just decided, you know what, it's not by my works. All I have to do is just put my faith in Jesus and believe his promises. When I did that, I actually said those very words to Tim. I said, man, this just seems too easy. Well, it is that easy. It's simple enough that a child can be saved. A child can understand. A child can embrace this. And you know what? I actually think as I get to processing this, that can be one of the reasons that a lot of people turn away from the gospel. See, see, for a lot of us, we, we don't like free gifts. We like to work for stuff, to think that we can kind of help God out a little bit, right? We can't. It's too far beyond us. We, we just can't even begin to try. You know, we have nothing to offer. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's our pride. Maybe it comes back to Ephesians 2, <laughs> that we, we just want to try. Like, we want to try to toss something in there. And, and I get that. I like to try and help out in areas where I have no business helping out. Okay, for example, if you know me, when it comes to mechanical things, repairing things, fixing things, power tools, I have no business helping out, all right? It's just the truth. I have a friend, Merlin Beachy. He and I are very, very different. But we have this kind of symbiotic relationship. Okay, he comes out of an unusual, guilt-driven, works-based religious system. And over the years, I have helped him sort through some very complex psychological and relational and biblical issues, and that's how I help him. And on the flip side, he helps me out in the sense that he is mechanically gifted, and I am mechanically challenged, okay? That's the way. It's a great, great relationship. I have the gift of breaking stuff, and he has the gift of fixing it. So it works fine, right? So whenever I do something like, you know, manually pull down an electric garage door or a uh, operate a circular saw between my legs or light our kitchen cabinets on fire. Yes, that, that really happened. And, and, and when I go in afterwards to fix that stuff, I inevitably make it worse and worse and worse. And then eventually I pick up the phone and I call Merlin and, and he comes over and he surveys all the damage that I've done. And in a calm, gentle voice, he says to me, for the love of God, Brian, don't fix anything ever. Don't even try. Please, just call me. Why? Because I have nothing to offer 
when it comes to mechanical expertise. I'm just going to make things worse. Merlin's actually moved out of state, but anytime I get ready to do some kind of fixer of a project around the house, I still hear his voice in my mind saying, please, no, no, step away from the power tools, buddy. But you know what? I, there's still something inside of me. He's like, hey, I got this. All right, hold my beer. <laughs> That's our natural tendency if, if we really dig down deep, isn't it? I got this. And we can do that with salvation. Yeah, Jesus, thanks, man. I appreciate you paying the price for my sins. But let me, let, me, let me just help you out a little bit. Let me toss in a few good works here. Now, that doesn't work. We have nothing to offer. Didn't we sing it earlier? Jesus paid it how much? <laughs> All, all to him I owe. We're not adding one iota to the finished work of Jesus. Here's the beauty of the gospel. It's absolutely free. And so it stands in total opposition, people, to the law. You know, the law demands that you work for what you get. The gospel says, no, it's free of charge, simply by faith. The law condemns you. Grace justifies you. The law keeps you bound. Grace gives you absolute freedom. The law cannot and will not transform you, but the grace of Jesus can turn your life upside down and change you from the inside out. People, law and grace are night and day. Works and faith, night and day. So praise God that we can say, along with the Apostle Paul, sin will not be my master. Because I am not under the law, but under grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful for your grace. And I think if we're honest in here, we're going to talk about this next week. All of us, at times, don't treat your grace with the value it deserves. And I thank you so much that there was no other way really to do it, but I thank you that you chose to pay the price for us because we couldn't pay that price. I thank you that you have made it such that it's a gift. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. So even a child can receive it, and there will be no boasting in heaven. We're like beggars just receiving by faith a gift that you've given us, a gift we can never add anything to. So God, I pray that we would never, ever, ever alter the purity, the simplicity of the gospel message. But God, as we'll see in the coming weeks, we also recognize that you are a God of justice and that there's more to this equation. That once we become Christians, you give us a new power and we don't have to go back. We don't have to sin anymore. We will, but we don't have to do that. We have the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, as we continue in this series, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and, and just give us wisdom and understanding and just a great appreciation for what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, before we dismiss this morning, I, I want to say a word because I know throughout this series and maybe especially this morning, you may be scratching your head a little bit and thinking about God's justice, you know, sometimes people have questions like, well, wait a minute, are you saying like Hitler, after all the evil he's done, could Hitler put his faith in, like, how does that work? 
well, you don't want to miss the next couple of weeks, okay? Because we're going to talk about the attributes of God's righteousness and the attributes of God's justice and how that fits into the whole equation. In fact, we're going to find that there comes a time in the lives of believers and unbelievers alike when God might say this, you know what? That's enough. Game over. Like your time here has expired, okay? So there's more complexity to this. This is a deep dive into the free grace theology. So look forward to seeing you guys next week. Have a wonderful day in the Lord.